Thank you, Colton and Colton. I don't think I know any other Coltons, but I want you guys to know y'all are my two favorite Coltons. And I am thankful that the Lord has brought y'all into my life uh, and to have some weekly discipleship with you guys week after week and to see you guys leading us in song and in the word this, this morning is, is a sweet gift to me. Um, we have, as a family, just been acutely aware this week of how short life can be and how uh, unknown the end of life could be. Uh, we had a friend of Joy's husband uh, end up passing away very suddenly this past week. Um, you know, one day, Joy getting her teeth cleaned by this friend, and then the next day hearing word that, that her husband had had a heart attack and um, eventually passing away from that heart attack. Uh, so shocking, so sudden. Uh, we know from God's Word that our days are numbered. And so when we read scriptures like this one, when Jesus says, now is the hour, now is the time, now is the moment, uh, we need to consider the implications for that for us. For there are many other scriptures that, that urge uh, us as those hearing God's Word, those seeing God's plan of salvation in Jesus Christ, there are other scriptures that urge us to say now is the time to repent. Now is the time to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Uh, and so I want us to listen this morning with, with urgency. Um, none of us are guaranteed another moment, another day, another week. We're not guaranteed to be able to see our kids grown up. We're not guaranteed to be able to see our grandchildren. We're not guaranteed to be able to get through that degree or pass that school grade or any of those things. We're, uh, we have this moment, and we need to consider the truths that the Lord has given us this moment, and we need to consider how to live in light of those truths. And so the language from John 12, uh, what Colton read for you there in verse 20 all the way to 36 is highlighted and, and organized even uh, by these phrases of now. In verse 20, now among those John presents. Or later on in verse 27, now Jesus says, is my soul troubled. Or verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. There is an immediacy and an urgency about this passage in Jesus' Jesus's life, and I want us to consider what, what is that? What is that immediacy? What is that urgency that Jesus has in that? But I also want us to consider the, that hour that brought about this immediacy and urgency in Jesus' life that urged him to say now several times, then causes us to consider what we ought to do now. Now is the time for us. And so in my outline for you this morning, I've really got... Uh, two sets of points, and I'll give them to you at the, at the same time, but one is going to refer to the hour that Jesus is referring to uh, and why the hour had come, but the other is more of an application from the text for us, that because the hour had come, now is the time for us to respond in a specific way, and I hope that we'll consider uh, those things this morning um, knowing that, uh, that we don't know how many hours, how many days we have. And we ought to consider, if you're a Christian this morning, how we ought to live in light of the hour that Christ died and rose in all of our life. And if you have yet to trust Christ, uh, then, then to consider what it would look like for you, like some of the Greeks in this passage, to want to see Jesus to turn your eyes to Jesus uh, this day. John 12, 20 follows the triumphal entry that we considered last week in John 12, 12, where Jesus was welcomed by a large crowd of Jews who had come to Jerusalem 
early before the Passover, a week early to prepare themselves, to purify themselves for the Passover feast that was coming. For they had um, become unclean themselves for one reason or another and sought to be purified that they might be able to worship the Lord rightly in Jerusalem there at the Passover. And while you have this large crowd of Jews welcoming uh, and inviting Jesus to come into Jerusalem, praising Him and saying, Hosanna, save us now. Give us salvation now. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. They're, they're welcoming Him as their Savior and as their king. But like I said last week, they had a, just a small view of what that was. They were hopeful that that was an earthly savior, an earthly uh, horizontal king. But Jesus was not coming to be their earthly savior from Rome, their earthly king in Jerusalem. Jesus was coming to be their eternal savior from sin and death. Their eternal King, the King of kings and Lord of lords in a, uh, in, in a new heaven, in a new earth, in a new kingdom um, by grace through faith. And so he made that abundantly clear by not giving in to their, their desire to see him crowned as king in Jerusalem, but he came in in peace riding on a donkey. And it was uh, those who saw the raising of Lazarus, and though those who uh, came to worship him who would go out to witness to him as well. And so we've seen him greeted as he comes into Jerusalem by a large crowd of Jews in 12 through 19. But in verse 20, we now see another group of people, a group of Greeks that are wanting to see Jesus, just like the Jews were wanting to see him in 12. And so if you're taking notes uh, this, this morning, you can note this again in those two kind of categories, those two groups of notes. The first is this, that the hour had come for the Son to be glorified in death. The hour had come for the Son to be glorified in death. And what we'll see in, in a few moments then is, is that if that is true, that now is the time to give up your life for eternal life. We could even say give up your earthly life for eternal life. And so Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem. He's moving towards the cross. Something was drawing him back uh, from um, leaving that area. Something was bringing him back towards Bethany. Something was bringing him back towards Jerusalem. Something was bringing him back uh, to Jerusalem in the midst of death threats. What was bringing Jesus back to all of this? Well, it was this hour. This hour that Jesus knew was bringing him back. And what ushered in this hour was what we read about in verse 20. Now among those who went to worship at the feast were some Greeks. These would have been Gentiles, non-Jews who were among the Jews and worshiping. Some of them could have been full convert Greeks to Judaism themselves. Some of them may have not been full converts, but, but like partial converts. They were worshipers of God, uh, but not not fully converting to be uh, like to live like the Jews themselves, they would be called God fearers in the Book of Acts, like Cornelius and others. E either way, there were these kinds of people that were there early for the Passover, and uh, it says in verse twenty-one. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, one of Jesus's twelve disciples, and they asked him repeatedly. So what the tense of the verb is saying, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And because of the tense of the verb, you can hear this kind of like nagging, kind of like we want to see Jesus. We, we want to see him. They've seen him. We want to see him. Where is he? What, what can we do to see him? What will it take? We want to see Jesus. And what a desire that these Greeks had 
if you as a Christian have been praying for someone and longing for someone to come to faith in Christ, if you've seen this moment where they want to see Jesus, they want to read their Bible, they want to come to church with you, they finally accept that, what joy uh, comes upon you uh, as an answer to your prayers? And might we continue to pray that this would be the case? Uh, We talked about in our class this morning, looking at biblical theology, Psalm 2, verse 8, God says, ask of the nations, and I will give you the nations as your heritage. Church, we need to keep praying for the lost. Keep praying for those who are not God's people to become God's people, that they too would long to see Jesus like these Greeks did there, and that you, like Philip, would, um, would tell Andrew, as he does, and Andrew and Philip together go and tell Jesus, that there would be a joyfulness about you, a passing that along and doing whatever it would take. And so that's what we see, Andrew and Philip, they come and tell Jesus that these Greeks uh, want to see him. And then in verse 23, and Jesus said to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Yeah, but they just want to see you. I know, like, before you get into this whole sermon, Jesus, they just want to to see you. But Jesus really just doesn't address these Greeks' desire to see him earthly. He cares more about them seeing him eternally. And so he does. He enters into a sermon, if you will, um, beginning to explain, if, if they are going to see me uh, in, in any way that really matters, it's my hour then to be lifted up. It's my hour to die. It's my hour to be raised so that they might not just see me here on this earth, but might see me forever in heaven eternally. And so, where we would love to see Jesus just immediately go, we, we don't see him actually answer or, or show up to the Greeks in any personal um, manner in this. Instead, he just really addresses how they might see him eternally uh, in this. And so, this hour that, that we're speaking of that Jesus mentions here in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. If you'll remember, as we've walked all the way up through the Gospel of John so far, Jesus has been characterized by saying, it is not my hour. Uh, Remember him saying at the first miracle, his mom saying, do something about this wine issue. Woman, it is not my hour. And over and over and over him saying, so what is it that all of a sudden Jesus hears these Greeks want to see him, and all of a sudden he says, that's my hour. Now's the time. Why? It's because the nations are coming to see Christ. It's not just for the Jews. This is the moment where Jesus says, now everything that God had promised in the Old Testament about the people of Israel being a light to the nations that they couldn't accomplish is now being accomplished because now Greeks are wanting to come and see me. And now I will do what they need me to do for them because they can't do it themselves. They can't save themselves. They can't be their king for themselves. I'm coming to do that. And Jesus says, now this is my hour. It was the hour for Jesus to... Uh, give up his life. He describes it there that the Son of Man, which was a title that he would use to describe himself, an a, a Old Testament title from Daniel chapter 7. Uh, and he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And that would later mean, and, and he would use it to describe his being lifted up on the cross. His burial in the tomb, His resurrection from the dead, His ascension on high in the, in the throne, on the throne in heaven. That was what that word encompassed. 
It was that hour for all of those things to come to fruition. And so Jesus then uses a, uh, a farming illustration to be able to get this point, of, point across. In verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus was describing His hour, His glorification with this farming illustration, saying that a a seed of grain, if it just stays in the bag of grain or in the silo, that's all it's really good for. Maybe you can make some bread from it later, but it's really going to do no good. It stays alone. But if you take that seed... And you go out into the field and you plow the earth and you plant that seed in the earth. That seed in and of itself will will die, but with water and light it will sprout and give life and will grow and, and it will flower and those flowers will bear much fruit and will produce 30, 60, 100 fold as he says in the parable of the soils in, in Matthew 13. That's the only way that these Greeks are, are going to be able to see Jesus, is if Jesus dies and his, life, his death and his resurrection bring much life. And so Jesus is saying, this is the hour that I've come. It's the hour that I have to die. That's why I've noted for you that the hour had come for the Son, Jesus Christ, to be glorified in death. Jesus would be glorified in his death, in his giving up of his life. And it would be through his death that these Greeks would actually get to see Jesus in any way that really matters. But for us, what does this mean? If now, if, if then was the hour that had come for Jesus to be glorified in death, what does that mean for us now? Well, now we would say is the time for us who have believed in Jesus, who have trusted in Christ and His death on the cross to forgive us of our sins, who have found hope in His resurrection and His new life and His promise to those who believe in Him to receive life. For those of us who have repented and believed, now is the time uh, for us to continue to give up our life for eternal life. And if you've yet to trust Him, now I would say the same thing to you. It's to give up your earthly life so that you can have eternal life with Jesus. You see this in 25 through 26. If, if, uh, if it was true of Jesus that death Uh, would bear much fruit, that his giving up of his life would bear much fruit and life for the Greeks, then it's true for us as well that giving up our life would mean um, bearing much fruit and eternal life for us and potentially for others as well. Jesus applies it this way, whoever loves his life loses it. That would be in the sense that if you love your life, you're going to hold on to your life like that grain in the silo or in the bag. You're going to hold on to it, and in the end, that's all you have is this life. If you love your life, you're going to have this earthly life, but that's all you're going to have. But Jesus contrasts that by saying, but whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In comparison, if you hate your life in this life, not truly hating yourself, because Jesus would use language otherwise later that says, um, love your neighbor as yourself, right? We know we love ourselves, but in comparison, that if you would hate this earthly life in comparison to your love for the Lord and for Jesus, you will end up keeping your life for eternal life. And the the idea there is that you uh, give up this life so that you can protect and guard and and keep your eternal life that's been given to you as a gift. This is the, the promise that we have from Christ. This is the encouragement 
that we have from Christ, to give up everything that this, this life offers, to give up, give up everything that, uh, that it's so easy to grab in this world and give those things up knowing that there's so much more uh, in store for us in eternity rather than in comparison to earthly. Jesus urges us. Uh, he goes on in verse 26 and says, if, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor, honor him. So what does it look like to hate your life on this earth and to be able to keep it for eternal life? Jesus notes at least a couple of things. One, that, it, that um, hating your life in this life means that you're not spending your life serving yourself. You're spending your life serving Him. It means that you're not spending your life following your dreams. It means you're spending your life following Him. Um, giving up your life means that you're serving the Lord and serving others knowing that you've been served first and foremost by Christ. Uh, following uh, giving up your life in this life to be able to keep it for eternal life means that you would follow Him in all of His ways, wherever He leads you, no, knowing that you will get to be with Him forever. That where I am, Jesus says, there will my servant be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This was the hope for the Greeks that day that wanted to see Jesus. The hope for them was that Andrew and Philip would go back and say, if you really want to see Jesus, give up your life and follow Him all of the days of your life. Serve Him with fervor. Follow Him wherever He leads you. And if you do, you will be with Him. He's promised. He's promised. It's more important to see him in eternal life than it is to see him on this earthly life. And that's good news for those of us who have never seen Jesus and never will see Jesus on this earth unless he returns while we're still alive. That it's better to see him in eternity than it is earthly. And so let me encourage you, Christian, that the hour had come then for the Son to be glorified in death, and that means for us now that now is the time for you to give up your earthly life for eternal life. Not only your own, but to give up your life for others' eternal life, that you might spend it sharing this truth like Andrew and Philip um, likely did with those Greeks that were around, that they too might be able to see Jesus. And if you... Here, have that same desire as those Greeks to see Jesus. Um, let me encourage you that seeing Him in the eternity is, is the most important thing. And He tells us the way to do that is to give up your life. He's told us in other places that repenting of your sins and believing in Him is what it looks like to give up your life. And here in this passage, serving and following Him is what it looks like to give up your life. But Jesus continues. He continues rolling with this, this sermon, if you will, at this hour. And secondly, then, I would have you note that the hour had come for the Father to be glorified in the Son. We see that in 27 through 33, that the hour had come for the Father to be glorified in the Son and the result of that then is the encouragement for us to realize that now is the time to glorify God as your purpose in life. I think you'll see that language even in Jesus, in Jesus' words. So in verse 27, again, Jesus says, now, now you see the immediacy and the urgency of, of this hour. Now is my soul troubled? Jesus had mentioned being troubled a chapter before when he saw the 
grief of Mary and Martha at the death of Lazarus being buried in the tomb for four days. He himself was troubled at seeing the effects of sin and death. Jesus is troubled here at the thought, at at just the thought uh, of what this hour meant for him in the days to come. Uh, his, His own arrest and trial and beating and suffering and crucifixion and suffocation uh, on the cross. He's troubled at the hour. He'll be troubled in chapter 13 when he thinks uh, about the one who would betray him, speaking of Judas. Jesus is troubled uh, multiple times in just these three chapters right here, which gives us as Christians encouragement when you find yourself troubled, that you too have a sympathetic high priest, one who was troubled at the effects of sin and death in this world. Jesus was troubled when he looked forward to what he was having to face. Jesus was troubled by the betrayal of friends uh, around him. Find in Jesus a sympathetic high priest, and yet consider what Jesus did when he was troubled. He says, now is my soul troubled, thinking about that hour, and what shall I say? And in the ESV, it it almost says it as a question, Father, save me from this hour? Is that what I should say? But I, I, I think it might be better to read this almost as a true prayer. Father, save me from this hour. For isn't that what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew? Uh, I think 26, Matthew, where Jesus um, goes to the Garden of Gethsemane after this point chronologically, and he goes with his disciples, and he leaves some of them behind to pray, and he goes off, uh, and, and he prays, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. It it looks as if Jesus' trouble, considering what he was about to face in that hour, led him to pray, Father, save me from this hour. But then he follows that request up with something much like he said in the Garden of Gethsemane. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, save me from this hour. But I resign my life to yours, and this is the purpose for which I've come, Jesus says. Much like he said in the garden, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, when he was troubled, looking at that hour ahead for him, he prayed. He asked the Lord for help. He asked the Lord to move in the midst of his real present circumstances and, and yet resigned his will to the Lord's will. Resigned his desires to the Lord's desires. Resigned his momentary desire for purpose in that moment to the Lord's ultimate purpose for sending him and Jesus' purpose for coming. And so it would have been silly for the Father to save him from that hour. For that was uh, Jesus' purpose in coming. The hour had come for the Father to be glorified in the Son by the Son giving His life so that Jews and Gentiles might be saved. And so Jesus prays in verse 28, Father, glorify Your name. We can learn from Jesus' example here. While we may not be facing an hour of a cross that will end up saving all of God's children, we too may face troubling circumstances like that. We're encouraged to follow Christ's uh, example in His humanity here, praying to His Father uh, and yet um, resigning His will for the Lord's will and yet desiring to glorify God in everything that He did. Which is why we ought to remember that now is the time in light of uh, the Father being glorified in the Son at the cross, now is the time for us to glorify God as our purpose in life. 
in everything that we do, in whatever we may face that brings troubling circumstances towards us, we can pray and yet we resign those to the Lord saying, no matter what, I want to glorify you. And if that means I persevere through these troubling circumstances to get onto the other side, to have developed my trust in you and to grow in hope and to have my eyes focused more on you and whatever it is, then so be it, Lord. Do whatever it takes to glorify you. And that's what Jesus prays. And we would uh, do well to learn to do the very same thing in our life, to, to pray that His glory would be our, our chief end. In fact, Christians for hundreds of years have uh, asked themselves this question, what is the chief end of man? And we have answered in accordance with God's Word that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is what our life is about. And if anything else trumps the glory of God in our life, then we're proving that we're not serving Him, following Him, giving up our life for eternal life. And so, Christian, let me urge you to seek to spend all of your days with God's glory as your purpose in life. And at Jesus' prayer, as we've seen once uh, already in another gospel, at uh, Jesus' baptism, where the Father speaks out loud and says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, like we saw in another, or like you would read in another gospel at Jesus' transfiguration, um, the Father speaking out out loud over his son confirming that this really was his son here again we see the lord or the, the father speaking out loud uh, as a result of jesus's prayer in verse 28 it says then a voice came from heaven i have glorified it and i will glorify it again god is saying that that's all i've been doing is glorifying my name. Um, and I will continue doing that because this is all that the Father, this is all that God can do is glorify Himself. Everything that He does is for His honor and for His glory. And so He assures Jesus in His prayer, I have been glorifying it and I will glorify it again. Speaking of uh, His perfect life up to that point, and then speaking of his cross and his resurrection where it will be glorified again. Well, the crowd uh, that was around stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. And others said that an angel had spoken to them. For in the Old Testament, when God speaks, it speaks of it as thunder. And oftentimes... When uh, God speaks out loud, people think that it is angels speaking out loud. But Jesus answered them uh, in saying, no, this, this was not simply thunder, nor was it just an angel. But Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. It was God's confirmation that this was His Son and that He had come to give His life D.A. Carson says of that moment that this would be for them a divine confirmation that the shameful cross and all that flowed from it was not a defeat, but a victory. Not a final destruction, but ultimate glorification. And so Jesus was saying, the voice that you just heard, it wasn't for me. It was for you to realize that the hour that I'm about to enter is the ultimate victory, the ultimate hope, the ultimate glorification. And then Jesus begins to use that language again of now. And Jesus in this section here is laying out several things that this hour is bringing about. And we are... 
um, mindful to, to see that these things are, again, immediate and urgent upon the hour of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection with this word now. And so the first one is this. Um, in verse 31, now is the judgment of this, this world. At the hour of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, it brought in the judgment of the world. And in one sense, it brought in the judgment for all of those who would repent and believe. And all of the judgment that we deserve would be placed upon the shoulders of Christ on the cross in that moment. Now is the judgment. And all of the wrath for all of the sin that we all deserve would be placed on Christ. But it was also a warning, a warning to those who would not repent and would continue to reject Jesus as the Son of God, that there, was, there would be a coming judgment where they would pay for their own sins, um, that they would pay for their, uh, absorb the wrath of God for their own sins and their own rejection of Christ. But judgment would be happening on Christ on the cross. And Jesus said, now this hour is coming. Another thing Jesus says that will be happening in this hour follows that. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. The ruler of the world is referring to Satan and is used three different times. And we'll see these coming later in 1430 and 1611. Speaking of Satan, who's described as being the ruler of the world. In other places in Scripture, he's called the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spiritual forces of evil, he who is in the world, the evil one of the world. Uh, this is uh, a, a judgment on Satan, where Jesus says, not one day in the future, but now. Will this ruler of the world be cast out? At the cross, the immediacy and the urgency of that, of that moment was so absolutely clear in Jesus' words that something, something was happening at that moment that, um, Jesus, that Satan was cast out Mark chapter 3, verse 27 would use the language that Satan is cast out. Um, no, uh, that, that Satan would be bound up using the parable uh, of a strong man that must be bound before his goods are plundered. At the cross, Satan is cast out and bound up so that the goods that he held on to for so long, namely uh, the, the people of this world, would not be held under his deception and sway and lies and power anymore. Speaking of the Greeks who wanted to see Jesus earlier on, something is going to happen at the cross where Satan will no longer be able to hold sway over the people of this world like he had done before that. Now, at the cross, the way was being made for not just Jews, but for Jews and Gentiles to be welcomed into the family of God. And Gentiles would come streaming and flowing in. We ourselves being uh, fruits of that, benefactors of that. And so I want us to realize here that while all evil is not bound up while um, we still, as Ephesians 6 says, ought to put on the full armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There is an aspect of Satan's power that is cast out and bound up uh, that he can no longer uh, deceive the nations any longer. And now these Greeks who wanted to see Jesus are going to be able to because Jesus will go to his hour at the cross and will rise from the dead and offer them um, salvation by grace through faith. Revelation 12.10 even speaks of this where 
Uh, it says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers. Who's that? Satan. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him. We sang this earlier, church. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. That's not something that's going to happen in the future. That happened at the hour of Christ on the cross. Satan was conquered. Satan no longer had any sway over the nations and people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language could come to him. That's encouragement, Christian. And we don't have to wait one day for Satan to be cast out and bound up and overcome and conquered. He's already conquered by Christ at the cross. Amen? And that gives us hope to, to press on, to continue to give up this life for his namesake, and for his glory as the purpose of our lives. But other things are happening here. Uh, at this hour, it says in verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up on this earth, this hour is characterized, as John will say in verse 33, that Jesus said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. This hour is characterized most clearly by Jesus being lifted up on the cross. Already in John 3, Jesus says, I must be lifted up. And he likens it to what happened back in Numbers 21 when a bronze serpent uh, was made on a pole and was lifted up for the people to look to and, and have salvation from the circumstances of that day. And Jesus said, I too have to be lifted up on a cross. Now, Jesus' hour would be characterized most clearly in his crucifixion on the cross. And it would be at that crucifixion where the rest of verse 32 says that he would draw all people to myself. That he would draw all people to himself. Now, the all people is obviously from all of the other scriptures, not saying that all people will be saved because he makes that abundantly clear in John's gospel. But when he says all people here, what that's referring to is all people without distinction. That all peoples, all ethnicities, all tribes, all tongues, all languages, including the Greeks who at the beginning of the passage wanted to see Jesus. Jesus is giving them hope. Now at this hour, when I'm lifted up, will I draw all peoples to myself. All of the nations begin come to me. All of the nations will begin to be drawn to me. And there again is that language of John 6 that no one comes to me unless the Father first draws him. And it's through the cross of Christ that the Father will begin drawing all people and all nations to himself. This is so encouraging for, for us as a church to realize that we've been included right there in that verse. We're there in verse 32. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw Brian to myself. Will draw Colton to myself. Place your name in, in that verse, for in that verse, uh, in the cross, Christ has made a way for you to come to the Father through the blood of the Lamb on the cross. That's good news and that's good hope. Why, why would you spend your life otherwise, living it for your own purposes in this life, if you've realized that? If you've realized that the hour had come for the Father to be glorified in the Son dying and rising, 
then why would you spend your life on your own purposes in this life rather than spending them on his purposes uh, in this life? For we're not seeking to enjoy an earthly life. We're seeking to enjoy eternal life with him forever. So spend your life giving up your life, serving the Lord, following the Lord where he may be found. But lastly, Jesus ends Uh, with another description of what the hour meant. And it would be this, that the hour had come for the light to be glorified in the suns. That is the capital L light to be glorified in the lowercase suns. There in 12, 34 through 36. The crowd answers, Jesus in this little sermonette saying, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. So how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And they understood things well. They understood the Old Testament that said that the Christ would remain forever. That He would be on David's throne forever and ever and ever And so they're confused. How are you saying that if you're the Christ, that you will be lifted up? Up on a cross, that you'd be lifted up and you would die? What kind of Son of Man is this? It's not the kind that they were expecting who would come in and again save them from the Romans and be the earthly king in Jerusalem. They're confused. What kind of king are you talking about? What kind of Messiah are you talking about? And it's here where Jesus urges them to believe in the light and to walk in the light while they still have the light. Jesus was coming to establish an eternal kingdom, an eternal salvation for them, not simply an earthly one. And so Jesus says to them in verse 35, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. If the hour was coming... Um, for Jesus to be glorified in death and for the Father to be glorified in the Son, Jesus is saying that same hour is the hour for the light, the light of Christ. Jesus, who already said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Um, It's time for that light to be glorified and to be emanated through all of the sons of light uh, while while they have opportunity. And so the encouragement, in fact, not just encouragement, the commands of Jesus in the final part of this passage. The command is to walk. And to not just walk once, uh, but to continue walking. And the command is to believe. And not to just believe once and for all, but to continue believing in this present tense Believe now and forevermore. Walk now and forevermore. The encouragement for us as a church is to realize that now is the time to walk in the light while you have the light. That we would realize that we, by faith in Jesus, have become sons of light. Uh, Not the Son of light, which is Jesus, but we've become sons of light. Like Jesus, uh, or like the prologue of John, the introduction of John said, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become, what? Children of God. And as children of God, as sons and daughters of God, who is light, we also become then sons of light, sent out into the world to be the light of the world, like Christ was the light of the world. And we're encouraged by Jesus in Matthew 5 to not hide our light under a bushel. You remember the song in VBS? 
in elementary school, but to let our light shine brightly in this world for a city on a hill cannot be hidden. We're to go out and to use this life to shine brightly the light of Christ. Church, that's what we were attempting to do last night, handing out a thousand glow stick light-up necklaces and a thousand um, tracks saying that Jesus is the light of the world. Um, that's what we were attempting to do in one small way as, as a church at, at the Halloween at the Y event last night to encourage people while they still have, a, have an, an hour, while they still have a moment to respond to the light, to respond to it. First, in belief, to believe in the Lord Jesus, to repent of their sins and trust Him to forgive them, but then to walk in the light to give up this life for Him, to serve Him, to follow Him, to make His glory their purpose in life. If you've yet to do that, let me encourage you, while you have this hour to do so, right here, right now. For now is the time of the Lord to repent and believe. Do not harden your hearts, the book of Hebrews and quotes the Old Testament several different times. Do not harden your hearts uh, against the truth of the Lord and against uh, what He has done for you. Now, repent and believe. And Christian, church, we who have already believed and and are attempting to do our best to walk in the light as, as He is in the light, Um, We've got several ways that we can do that uh, as we give up our life, as we serve, as we follow, as we make His glory our purpose, as we find encouragement as what He's accomplished in that hour, that He's taken our judgment, that He's cast out Satan, uh, that He's made us sons of light. We're both encouraged by the truths that are in this passage, and then commanded to go and live in light of them. And so let me encourage us as Christians and as a church, uh, whatever amount of time the Lord gives you this day, this week, this month, this year, this lifetime, to use them for His namesake and for His glory, knowing that in doing so, you have great assurance that you will be with Him forever in that hour when He returns. Let's pray. Father, I pray.